This is the Heal from Trauma-Bonded Relationships with me, Dr. Sarah, empowering you to heal from painful relationships to rediscover your self-worth and confidence because you are ready to be the best version of yourself. Hello, it's me again. I thought it would be really important for me to do a part two discussion on men because after recording my part one, I got thinking about all the different facets in terms of what men struggle with and I don't feel like I actually gave it enough justice. So I'm hoping that I am able to cover some additional topics in this one. And really it stems from this core issue of shame that we all experience, every single individual out here experiences, but it is very high in men who've experienced trauma bonding, in men who have actually experienced abuse, where they've experienced manipulation, where they've experienced criticism. And when I'm talking about these things, for example, abuse, I'm talking about it could be physical abuse, it could be emotional abuse, and men really struggle to express this, particularly when it is a heterosexual relationship, because there's often this uncertainty, this ambiguity, this kind of disbelief that it is possible for a female within the relationship to be the aggressor. What is shame? Shame is one of the hardest emotions to navigate. It is one of the hardest emotions to live with. Part of that is because out of all the emotions, shame specifically says, I am fundamentally wrong. There is something fundamentally wrong with me. Whereas if you're looking at something like depression, that's an experience of sadness. Sure, you can feel you can experience self-critical thoughts, you can question yourself with depression. But with shame, Shame is very much at the root of who I am, my identity, and it's almost as though there is a flaw in one's identity, and so it becomes really difficult to escape from. So shame tends to be at the core, and it drags in depression, it drags in anxiety, it drags in guilt, and it becomes a vortex of really painful emotions. And I believe particularly for men, that is a really difficult issue for them to deal with because they really don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to navigate it. And they're given such mixed messages in society, particularly as society has progressed and it's changed throughout time where there is more attention on equality between uh, a man and a woman in a relationship. And particularly when there's been a shift in terms of how is it that a man should behave in a relationship? What is a man's role? And what we've also seen within society is that men are often valued based on their role, based on what they provide, based on what they do, based on their characteristics. And so all of these factors ultimately indicate, well, I need to be a provider. I need to do well, I need to do good, I need to give as much as possible, I need to do it with a smile on my face, and I need to be the best possible person that I could ever be in order to be valued, in order to be loved, in order to be accepted. And I'm not saying people shouldn't be doing their best, of course they should be, but the issue is that if you've got that level of 
belief that my value is purely attached on what I provide and what I do and what I give, that being my value, coupled with shame, it becomes really difficult to stand up for yourself when you're being mistreated. It becomes really difficult to stand up for yourself to say, hey, you know what? I'm not okay with being spoken to like that. I'm not okay with being subjected to physical abuse or mental, emotional abuse. I'm not okay being taken advantage of. And, and trying to do something, trying to be assertive or potentially walking away from the situation, that becomes really difficult, particularly for men, because they actually don't know what to do in that circumstance because they don't want to be devalued in that moment. Part of the issue is that there is this real vulnerability in terms of how is it that I perceive my self-worth and how is it that I perceive my value? So if societally there's this identity placed on men that my value is based on what it is that I provide, what it is that I do, how it is that I give my very best to everybody, if that's already a societal interpretation on men's values, and if you stem to their childhood, often what you will see are these narratives of you need to be a good boy, be well behaved, abide by rules, and all of these narratives which, sure, as a parent, um, you want your kids to behave. That makes sense. But also at the same time, children are designed to push boundaries. Children are designed to test the limit. That, that's within their nature and that's okay. But the difficulty is, is that if kids are being punished, especially boys, I think boys are more susceptible to being put or more likely to be punished, particularly if they're acting naughty. And if that occurs, then it becomes really difficult for a boy to recognise the difference between what is a healthy boundary and how it is that I negotiate what the boundary is versus if I express myself, then I'm going to be attacked and therefore it means that I can't express myself. I'm not allowed to be myself. That actually I need to be hidden and I need to figure out my way in life based on what other people want me to be, what other people want me to behave, do like, look like, whatever, whatever those whatever those conditions are. And all of these factors then lead down to this deep-rooted shame that men unfortunately grow up with and it becomes this very familiar feeling because it's actually something that's instilled from childhood and it goes all the way up to adulthood and it becomes so familiar that they don't really question it they just adapt to it they get used to it and they try to work a way around it they just work harder and harder to please other people and when they face abusive situations or when they face being attacked or being judged or dismissed, it becomes really hard for them to stand up for themselves because it taps into that feeling of shame and shame is already saying, I am fundamentally wrong, therefore you must be right. And so when you're in this dichotomous dynamic where shame exists, that there's no other there's no other way to be there's no other outcome right because you will always believe i am fundamentally wrong there is something wrong at my very core and therefore if i'm being punished the punisher the abuser has to be right there's something that they're doing that is justified because i am fundamentally wrong so they're just teaching me the way or they're just doing the right thing or they're just expressing what should be expressed 
and I should be taking the blame, I should be taking the attack, the criticism, the judgment. But that simply reinforces shame. That simply reinforces, yes, I should be tolerating this trauma-bonded relationship. And we get into this really difficult battle and this really difficult dynamic. And when people experience shame, there are often four different ways that they respond. First one is through withdrawal. So that basically means that actually you go into yourself. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You hide ultimately because I'm fundamentally wrong. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to hide away. The second response is through self attack. So self attack really is with regard to criticizing myself, with judging myself, saying that I am wrong, taking the blame, saying that there is something wrong with me, that I've done bad. And we actually reinforce the shame. And that also has a risk of self gaslighting. So, gaslighting is when somebody makes you question your perception of reality. So, am I right? Am I wrong? what's actually going on here but actually when we're in shame we're more likely to reinforce that and do that towards ourselves and make us question our own perception of reality which in turn just reinforces the shame and then we're just in this negative loop the third way that we respond to shame is through avoidance so avoidance is when we work really hard to not look at the problems Uh, let's say if you're in a trauma-bonded relationship, you're experiencing criticism, judgment, being ignored on a daily basis, you avoid the pain, you avoid the difficulty around it. So again, that might lead to things like substance misuse or alcoholism. It may lead to a lot of suppression in terms of emotion. So nope, forget about that. That's not me. Doesn't exist. And, And just cracking on with it, as they say. And then the fourth response is through attacking other people. And this is something that I see often, particularly with men who've been holding on to shame for a prolonged period of time. And so the attack may be subtle or it might be quite significant. And when I'm saying attack, it could be either verbal or physical or emotional, or it could be passive aggressive. But ultimately what it is that if I'm experiencing abuse from my partner, I don't know where to go with that. I don't know what to do. I don't want to lose them. I'm fundamentally wrong because I'm shameful. They, therefore, they must be right. And so if you're in this dynamic and there's this pent up energy, right? There's this pent up frustration and resentment. And naturally it occurs because you'd naturally be resentful of your partner who's constantly attacking you. But what happens in that moment is that you walk away from the relationship on a day-to-day basis, I'm not saying that it's necessarily ended, but you walk away and let's say you go to the store and the customer services person is not helpful. They're not able to give you the refund that you're wanting, let's say. And so you start shouting at them or you get really pissed off with them. You get really angry, whatever it is. And so you walk off in a strop or it could be that you get into an argument with your friend and your friend sends you a text message saying, hey, why didn't you turn up last night? And you'd be like, oh, and then, uh, but, but so, so it might be something small and you might not really notice it or, or register it occurring, but actually it's a response where it involves attacking somebody else who doesn't really have much to do with what's actually going on, what actually created the frustration to begin with. 
so I come to this point of how do we figure a way around this? How do we deal with this? And it, it, the, there's really two main categories. There are a lot of things to consider, but just to really simplify it, I think two main categories are a good way of considering this. So the first category really is looking at what's ours and what's someone else's. One thing to say here is that we are never going to change someone else. It's not your duty or your responsibility to change someone else or to take on responsibility for somebody else in terms of their own in terms of their own past traumas. So if they wanted to deal with that, they need to go seek a professional and you would seek a professional. That that's totally fine. But the distinction really is to figure out what's my stuff versus what's this person's stuff. So as an example in this situation would be, what is my stuff being, I feel shameful. And I feel shameful because I don't really know if I'm okay to be here. I don't know if I am worthy enough. I don't know what my value is in life. I don't know who I am. So the, these would be things that would be, that would belong to you. Whereas somebody attacking you or somebody criticizing you or somebody judging you, whether that be a partner, friend, family member, whoever it is, that's not you. That's not for you to take on. That's their stuff because that's something that they're doing and that's something that they should be taking ownership and responsibility over. And therefore, what's really important is that you take a step back to really identify what's my stuff that I need to look at and process and step away from their stuff, not taking on responsibility for their stuff. Because like I said, it's not your job to change them. And particularly what happens psychologically speaking is that when we're in a relationship with somebody or when we know someone really closely, we can't instigate change as such. So often I see people, a lot of my clients, they enter these relationships and they see the other person's being injured and they're like, you know what, I want to help you, I want to support you, I want to care for you. That makes sense. There's a difference between caring about somebody and being their caregiver. So we can care for someone in the sense of, I care for you as a human being and I want you to be okay. But the difference is, is I can't be your caregiver. I can't be your caretaker. I can't be your parent around this. I can't parent you around this. And so that's a job for a third party. That's a job for a professional, right? And and the reason why you can't parent them, you can't uh, be their caregiver is because there is too much involved in the minutiae of your relationship and the dynamics in the subconscious mind. I'm talking about the 95% here. There's way too much that's going on there for that to really be absorbed by the other person. And so that's why you'll see that therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, whoever it is, they're never allowed to see people that they know in a personal circumstance for that very reason, because actually they would never be able to instigate change. It would have to be a stranger, ultimately, someone who's completely detached from your life. Reverting back to the point I was talking about in the sense of figuring out what's mine and what's yours. That is something really important. And the moment that we get 
to grips with that, the moment that we can start processing and resolving that stuff, the moment that we can actually start to really heal that stuff. And the more that, let's say we're going back to shame, let's say I understand who I am. I'm starting to get there. I'm starting to be able to listen in to the voice inside. I'm starting to get a sense of what it is that I need. But I'm also getting a sense of the fact that I've been attacking myself. I've been criticizing myself. I've been avoiding. I've been withdrawing from what it is that I need. I've been neglecting myself. Getting to grips with all of that suddenly brings light into what it is that I need to be doing. What is my next step? What should be important to me? And so it may be that actually I need to be respecting myself because the more that I neglect myself or the more that I allow bad things to happen to me, the more that I don't have boundaries, the more that I get attacked, the more that I let negativity in. And so that's all down to you. Again, like I said, that's not for you to take ownership over the other person. But naturally, what you will see is, let's say, the more that you relieve that sense of pe- the sense of shame, the more that you discover self-respect, self-worth, and your self-esteem increases, the less willing you are to tolerate negative behavior. But also, people notice it. And so, actually, you're less likely to attract attacking behaviors because you're not willing to tolerate it. And so it really does change the dynamics within your relationship or relationships with anyone at this point. So this is one category. The second category really is talking about taking risk versus reward. So the truth is that in any relationship that you experience, there will always be a risk that you have to take, always, whether or not you like it. And that is for the very nature of the fact that you're entering a relationship with somebody, you have to open the door a bit to them, right? You have to open the door so you can see them and they can see you. But by the very fact that you open the door, you're taking a risk because you don't know what they're going to do to you. And so that's the risky bit. But you don't know what they're going to do to you. They might do something really pleasant. They might actually bring in flowers. They might be really nice to you. They might be really compassionate and kind and give you that amazing joy. But like I said, you don't know. So it's a risk versus reward situation. And so the the question then is how much are you willing to open the door? And so some one piece of advice that I would give is if you imagine that you've got a door and you have the lock, nobody, sorry, the key to the lock, nobody else has the key and you've got control over unlocking the door, you've got control over how much of the door you open You've got a peephole if you wanted to have a look at who's on the other side of the door and you can open it as much or as little as you like. And so if you open it a little bit and you take that little risk of sharing a little part of yourself, see how the other person responds to that. And it's almost like a litmus test at that stage. So you share a little bit of yourself, seeing how the other person responds to it. And if they respond in a way that feels good, in a way that feels safe and secure and consistency in their behavior, then you can try it out a little bit more, open the door slightly more, test their response or see what their response is like. If it's good, open it a little bit more and keep going in that phase as opposed to just opening the door full whack and just allowing anybody and everybody to come in. 
because one of the biggest traps that I see, particularly with people with an anxious attachment style or people who are really high on the empath scale, is that they open the door fully for anyone and everyone, but you don't know who's on the other side. And so it becomes really hard to shut the door because all of a sudden you go into this kind of Mother Teresa mode where you're wanting to rescue everybody that's there and, and support everyone that's there and rescue the relationship and all the rest of it even when it's really toxic for you, even when it's unhealthy for you. And that's when you go into the, maybe I can be the caregiver of this person, which, like I said before, it just wouldn't work and it's not healthy for any relationship. So those are the two main categories that I would say is the first thing is really considering what is my stuff versus what is their stuff. And the second thing is how much of a risk am I willing to take? And to take that risk, with whatever level that feels safe in terms of sharing yourself and just testing how that person responds and if the risk is worth taking, if it actually feels rewarding. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do me two favours. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and rate this podcast so that other people can find support and life-changing information. Until next time, take care.